when I was a few months a priest, I was uh, eager to share some of the things that I learned. That's a, a common thing. If you've ever been to the, the homily of a, a newly ordained priest, uh, they usually try to get as much information as possible out of their brain at one single time during the homily, uh, because we've just been given it for, you know, six, seven, or eight years, and so it's, it's you're just waiting for something to come out. Wait, you know, we've been spent input, 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 and we can finally have output. Uh, and so there's this great, great joy and great zeal in, in sharing the things um, that one learns in the seminary. In that time, uh, one of the things that, that I wanted to share was simply a reflection on the Mass, to be able to, to kind of go through the Mass. Uh, it was a, a rather rudimentary, uh, you know, kind of exposition of what is the Mass, you know, uh, how do we pray with the various parts of the Mass and this kind of thing. And these are things that, that I had found fascinating, that I had found personally nourishing and enriching uh, as being able to, to go to the Mass daily and, and to, to think about these things, to pray with these things, and, and to pray with these things at Mass particularly. And so, you know, desiring to impart that same, that same uh, joy to others, I preached a sermon on the Mass, again, a rather simple thing that we all experience regularly. In response, uh, I didn't really get, I didn't get really much response at the door. You know, when, when people say, you know, good homily, Father, I, I kind of take that as like, I don't know what else to say sometimes. So I'm just going to say good homily, Father. Uh, I equate good homily, Father, with like, have a good day, Father, um, because I've also been given good homily, Father, when the deacon preached. Uh, so you, you take it with a grain of salt at some point, huh? Um, and so there's the, this reality, you know, you know, where you get good homily, Father, and, you know, and, and I appreciate it. It's not, you know, for those of you who will say it to me inevitably outside as you, as you leave Mass, fine and good. I'll happily take it. But the reality is what I did get was something that was unexpected, and I got a letter in the mail it was unsigned, which please, never send me something that's unsigned. Uh, don't send anonymous letters, that's no good for anybody. But this is when I began to learn what the priesthood could be like whenever you preach on ordinary things. And this letter began to tell me that, that I, was, uh, I needed to get off my clerical high horse uh, because I was talking down to the laity too much. We all know these things, Father. You don't need to explain any of this to us. We all understand. Stop speaking down to us like we are children, etc., etc. And I was kind of shocked by it because I was like, literally somebody's complaining because I preached a homily on the Mass? Wow. And I was, I was, I was shocked and, and, and just kind of taken back that somebody would be so upset. And, and secondly, that they would presume that it was because I'm on my clerical high horse that, that I wanted to simply explain what the Mass is and how to pray with it. I mean, I, I figured it would be an acceptable thing, being as we didn't have the recent care report, but we did have the one even then that indicated, you know, a third of Catholics believe in the presence and the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, you know, far more, you know, re reject numerous church teachings that are very fundamental and basic things. So I thought it was in, you know, pretty safe territory to be able to simply explain what is the Mass. And so it kind of made me a little gun-shy of, of kind of giving such a homily again. But I found a few years later, my, a different congregation, uh, that I went and, and preached, <laughs> I think I preached for about eight weeks on what the Mass is. Um, 
and I preached, I would take a, a, a single homily. You know, I, did, I think I did an entire homily on the entrance procession to give you the, the context of, of how detailed I got in those things. Right? So I did a homily on the entrance procession. I did a homily on, on the penitential rite. A, a homily on the Gloria. Right? And so these you know, very small snippets of the Mass, but, but did a, a kind of much larger exposition of them uh, to be able to, to go through. And, and I found that, uh, that those were some of the most fruitful homilies that I've given in my entire life as a priest. That the, the things that people would say would, would, you know, even several years later, they would talk about those particular homilies and, and how it opened their eyes to what happens at Mass. And I was encouraged from then, you know, to, to recognize, oh, maybe, maybe just taking things at the simple level and not assuming things, not, not uh, you know, kind of assuming that everyone knows this, uh, therefore I don't have to say it, um, that maybe that's not always the best place to be. Is recognize that sometimes our the catechesis that we received in the church in the last few decades uh, has been has been a bit wanting uh, in many places, but also that uh, that sometimes we simply forget things that we can we can we can have read it we can have memorized it we can have learned it and known it in the past, but then sometimes it just something that comes in an input and that's the thing that goes in the output and we just forget or we never realize it, or we're at a different place in our own faith journey, and so we'll understand something kind of a, at a deeper level now and appreciate it now more so than in the past. And so uh, I say that as a way of introduction. And then in the coming weeks, I would like to, to kind of do a series of, of rather simple, uh, simple homilies of explaining some of the basic things of the faith and if anyone wants to write me a letter about uh, how you're upset with that, feel free to do so. You're welcome to do so, but make sure you sign it so I can respond to you. But what I would like to do today is, is rather give, simply give you an invitation. All of the things that will, that will be the, 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 the points moving forward all hinge one, on, upon one singular foundation, namely Jesus Christ. And if anyone wants to be upset because I'm talking about Jesus today, don't write me a letter. Go spend time in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament and get your life together. That's my suggestion. It's Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of all things. He is the one through whom all things are created. He is the one by whom all things are sustained. He is the one through whom we have salvation. That's the reason that throughout the first Eucharistic prayer, we continuously say, through Christ our Lord, amen. All of these things, he's continuing to intercede for us as our great high priest, even at this moment, constantly standing before the Father, interceding for us, everything for us as members of the human race hinges on Jesus. Certainly we can emphasize the Father and we can emphasize the Holy Spirit, but it is Christ himself who has taken on our flesh is the Son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, who has come down to us, who was sent by the Father, what came of his own will, led by the Holy Spirit. It is he who took on our flesh. It is he whose face people were able to see. It's he who we were able to receive in Holy Communion. It's he who is a, an image given to us in countless places in the church and in our homes, crucifixes, icons, paintings, etc., it is Christ who is so many things to us. And as for us, if all the things hinge on him, the most important thing is for us to know him, to know him. I'm reminded of this reality of not simply presuming upon knowing Jesus, 
our own Mother Teresa, who, who graced us uh, in this holy house, as well as continued to grace us uh, through her sisters. It was Mother Teresa who, writing a letter to, to, her own, to her own sisters, the missionaries of charity, to whom she wrote, I fear that some of you have not yet met Jesus. Imagine saying that. Imagine being, imagine being one of those sisters. We've got some of our sisters here. Maybe they were hearing it themselves. Imagine hearing that. You've given, given all things up, going to, to live a missionary life, to be able to, to give up home, to give up family, to give up all the things of the world, to be able to live a life of service, to be able to live a life of prayer, several hours a day being given over to prayer before the Blessed Sacrament and service of the poor. And yet someone says, I fear that you have not yet met Jesus. It's an incredible thing to say, but there's a truth in it. There's something that's very real in our culture these days, is particularly that we can, evangel- we, can, we can catechize very well. We can know all kinds of things about Jesus, and yet we still haven't met the man. In a similar way, we can read all kinds of biographies about individuals throughout, uh, throughout, you know, the, throughout history or even a contemporary day, but it doesn't mean we actually know them. We do know about them, but our Jesus, He doesn't ask us in the end, do we know about Him? He asks us if we know Him. Remember the, the story of uh, those who, who come in our Lord, you know, He's at the, uh, I think it's the five, uh, the five foolish virgins, the five wise, and they come and, and, and they're knocking at the door and saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. And His response was, I do not know you. Another account says, Lord, you, you, you taught in our, in our, in our synagogues. You, you came to eat in our homes. You preached in our streets. We know about you. We know all kinds of things that you have done. But this is not upon which, that upon which we are judged. It is whether we know Jesus Christ and live in accordance with his will. This is what we can understand in the sense today by our second reading from St. Paul. He's writing and speaking to us of the fact that, that there is the reality that, that the first man came, Adam, and he was, he was earthly. The second Adam came, the second man, the final man, the great man, which is Christ himself, and he was spiritual. He was heavenly. One moves from, from the bottom up, essentially. One gets to know on a, on a basic level and then and goes, goes higher and higher or deeper and deeper, whatever analogy we would like to apply to it. Indeed, we must first know about Jesus, but in knowing about Jesus, we must ensure that we begin to know him himself, to know Jesus, to know him by virtue of our prayer and encounter with him, not simply to allow the the knowledge that that lies within our head uh, to remain sufficient for us, but rather to express it in faith. I'm reminded also this week week from, from, uh, I think it was St. James, uh, the letter of St. James, they're, they're writing, you know, the, it's, someone was saying that, that we believe, we believe, right? You know, it's, and then St. James says, uh, you do well to believe. Even the demons believe, right? Even the demons know who Jesus Christ is, right? When, they, when, when Jesus comes to, to exercise men, it's the demons that say, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. Most of the people around them didn't even know that. The demons knew. They knew exactly who Jesus was. But they had no faith in him whatsoever, no willingness to to obey him. 
This is what we are called to have. Knowledge of Jesus, a personal relationship, a continuing and deepening relationship. But it begins with the presumption that we know something about the man. To that end, I would encourage you to read about Jesus. Certainly, we could, uh, if you don't have a Lenten penance, this might be something that you could pick up and apply. But otherwise, and feel free to do it just because. I want to invite you to, to read about Jesus, about the life of our Lord. Certainly, a privileged place is to read the Gospels. If you've never read any of the Gospels uh, straight through, uh, I would encourage you to do so. The uh, St. Mark's Gospel being the shortest, uh, depending on your reading speed, and, you know, it takes two to three hours or so to read the entire Gospel of Mark. You can do it in one sitting if you, if, uh, if you got the time. As far as to read and understand these things about our life of our Lord, but there are also other places that I would encourage you to be able to look and to read about these things that help us to understand, because even as we read the Gospel, sometimes it's still a bit confusing to us. And so there are others who help us to understand these things, to break open the words that our Lord tells us, and to explain why that's important and what it means to us. I'll give you a, a short list of books that you might find helpful, books that I would encourage you to, to get, either one or more of, and to be able to read. And if you hurry fast to the back, uh, I think a half dozen or so of these are sitting on the used bookshelf for two bucks a piece. But it's an opportunity for us to be able to, to learn about the life of our Lord. Also posted, I'll put it on the, the website and the, the Facebook page as well, uh, so that you don't have to try to remember uh, a particular book title for the rest of the Mass. But things that you can read, uh, I myself will be having recourse to, uh, to Frank Sheed's book, To Know Christ Jesus, a classic, uh, an evangelical classic uh, in the Catholic world. And so there are also, of course, Joseph Ratzinger, Benedict XVI's book, uh, his trilogy, really, uh, of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, you could go to the one who inspired Benedict in that, in Romano Guardini, his book, The Lord. You could turn to The Life of Christ from Fulton Sheen, Christ, The Life of the Soul from Blessed Columba Marmion, Christ and His Mysteries by the same. A recent edition, a few recent editions, one could add, A Teacher of Strange Things by Cy Kellett. One could read Jesus the Bridegroom from Brant Petrie. Jesus Shock, a rather short but powerful book by Dr. Peter Kreft. If you can find it somehow, uh, there's a book from St. John Paul II, a collection of his, of his Wednesday audiences entitled Jesus, Son, and Savior. Uh, it's out of print and so very difficult to find. Uh, so if you can find a copy, certainly get it and then read it at some point. A book by Luis Martinez, who's a wonderful man of faith, uh, at some point I think will be a saint of the church, uh, a book called Only Jesus. One could read The Life of Jesus Christ by Father Matteo Crawley, The Everlasting Man from G.K. Chesterton, The Greatest Story Ever Told by Fulton, Fulton Orsler, or Lord, Who Are You by Jorge Medina Estevez. Again, that's a short list, and there are other books that some of you uh, likely could add to it and maybe have already on your shelves that you have already read or would like to read. This would be my invitation. Is in the days and weeks, months, however long ahead, to be able to read about Christ, to learn about the man. Again, because everything hinges on him.
But in reading, don't just simply allow it to be an intellectual exercise. Don't stop at knowing about Jesus, but rather talk to him about it. Talk to him about the things that he said. Talk to him about the things that he has done. If it's one of these other books that speaks about Christ in words that he himself didn't use, but things that we ourselves understand, speak to him about these things. In the end, whatever it is, speak to him. May God grant us the grace today to be able to know much about our blessed Lord, but even more to know him and in the end to be known by him.